0: Man, today's sermon is going to be a little bit of a tough one and probably is going to step on some toes, step on my toes, probably step on your toes a little bit. And, um, you know, one of the things that I struggle with a little bit when we talk about what we're going to talk about today, and I, I struggle with this more often than just today, is that I think our tendency, and I think especially today, our tendency and your tendency is going to be Uh, To say that was a good sermon, it made a lot of sense, he's probably right. And you may even identify a few things in your life. But I think our tendency today is to just let it kind of roll off of our shoulders. To be like water on our shoulders and we just kind of go on with life. And uh, my prayer is is this, is that that wouldn't be the case. And I really mean that. That today, every one of us would allow this to be um, really real. And that when we leave this place, that we don't leave it just like, man, it was a good sermon, and it made a lot of sense, but that it would actually penetrate, and it would actually make a difference, and that we would actually change some things. Um, Today's a little bit of a heavy or a weighty subject for me for some reason, um, because I think it's probably one of the things that we struggle with um, more than anything in our culture, in our society, in our very nature. It's, I really believe it's a problem for a lot of us, if, if not all of us. I um, heard a story a couple of weeks ago. A guy was talking, and he was kind of talking about this subject. And uh, he told a story about his son. He had a son that was about a year and a half or two years old. And ever since his son was a very young baby, he had a fascination for things that rattle. You know, you can get these little baby rattles, and you can r- rattle it in front of your... your your baby's face, and they giggle, and well, this son of his just had a fascination with rattles, so anytime they would do anything that rattled, he would just laugh, and he would smile, and he was just kind of taken by rattles. At about a year and a half old, or two years old, whatever it was, he was walking, and uh, the the father said that he was in the living room, and he looked out the living room window, and his son was on the front porch, this little toddler, and he was just giggling and jumping up and down with delight, kind of looking down at the porch floor, and he was like, what is... Got his attention? What has captivated him so much that he's giggling and, and kind of jumping around there? So he walks out the front door and he says, he talks to his son and says, What are you, what's going on? You know, kind of asks him a question. And his young son looks down at the floor and says, My friend, come see my friend. And as he walks around the corner and around some furniture there, he walks over and here in front of his son is laying a rattlesnake, coiled up, rattling its tail. And his son is like filled with delight overjoyed at his friend that has a rattle and completely taken in. True story. And as I thought about that story, use it in kind of a different context, but as I thought about that story, I thought about how many times in the context of what I want to talk about today is how many times are you and I seduced? Or how many times are you and I deceived into loving something or being entertained by something or being kind of sucked in by something? or something that has become a huge part of our lives, how many times are we seduced into loving something that is actually incredibly dangerous for our souls? And like this young child having no idea that what he was laughing at and what he was giggling at and what was taking his attention and bringing him much joy at that moment was incredibly dangerous, was in fact endangering his life. And I wonder sometimes as we look at today, is if we have been seduced by things in our world and in our culture and in, 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 the, in the way that we've lived and are involved in things and taken by things that are actually endangering our souls. And we have no idea. Here's kind of our key thought as we went through this series the last couple of weeks since the top of your outline. And it is this, and you guys know this because we've went over it every Sunday. We are not a body with a soul. We're not a body with a soul, but rather we are a soul with a body. And that is important as we go through life, that we understand that, that we embrace that as the truth. You are not a body that happens to have a soul, but rather you are a soul that happens to have a body. One day you're going to die, one day I'm going to die, and my body is going to disappear, and it is going to decay back into the ground where it came from, and my soul is going to continue to live on. And many of us, and we hear this all the time Talk about, and we have done, and we have seen things where people detox their bodies, right? And we do all these crazy things. And what we've kind of wanted to to, uh, talk about for this series is not detoxing our bodies, but to detox our souls. To just take a moment and to look carefully at some areas. And to maybe take some time to detox our souls and to clear it away. And today we want to talk about detoxing our souls from idols that so subtly get a hold of us. So subtly get a hold of us. Exodus 20 is the Ten Commandments. The very first commandment is this. It says, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything, nothing at all in heaven, above or the earth below Or the waters below. You shall not make an idol from anything. In other words, he's saying, there are no exceptions. Why is it that your souls and my souls, if we're honest, why is it that we're so vulnerable to idols? Why is it that we're so vulnerable to be pulled away from our Heavenly Father, Being pulled away from the creator of us in the universe. Why is it that we're so vulnerable to be pulled in different directions? Here's why. Whether you like this or not, whether you agree with it or not, and I can probably there's some of you here today that would say, no, that's not me. But here's the reality of who you are and who I am. And I don't care if you're 10 or 90 years old. This is you. You are a worshiper. Whether you recognize it, whether you like it or not, you were designed and created in a way by your Heavenly Father to crave to worship something. And whether you like it or not, you do worship something. That's just who we are. That's just the way God created us. God created us with a vacuum inside of us to fill by worshiping something. And ultimately, obviously, God has designed us in that way to worship Him, to allow Him to fill that void. But we are so susceptible, we are so easily misled and and seduced to try to fill that hole, to try to fill that vacuum, to try to fill that need to worship with other things. Seduced. That's why. That's why there's so many people. That's why maybe there's some of us here today that our lives are completely full That's why for some of us today, our plates are like heaping and overflowing with things to do and things to take care of and places to go. But if we would just stop long enough and and identify some things, we would have to say, if we're honest, that my life in many ways is very empty. The reason that we struggle with that and it feels empty like that is because your soul was designed to only be satisfied by the worship of your heavenly Father. And anything short of Him, there remains a vacuum, and there remains an emptiness. That's why one of the first commandments says, you shall not have any other gods before me. No idols from anything that exists. Put nothing before me. Deuteronomy 4, verse 16 says, so do not corrupt yourselves by making an idol in any form. It's so important. Do not corrupt yourselves by making an idol in any form. And then it goes on to list a whole bunch of stuff. It says, whatever, whether a man or a woman, an animal on the ground, a bird in the sky, a small animal that scurries along the ground, or a fish in the deepest sea. And when you look up in the sky and see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the forces of heaven. And I love what it says. Don't be seduced into worshiping them. See, here's where we get confused. And here's where we write ourselves off. Because we look at Scripture, and as we look at the Old Testament, and we look at even this verse, we say, well, you know what? obviously and our thought process is this I would never worship an animal a small animal that scurries on the ground I mean come on I don't struggle with that I would never bow down and worship a star I would never pray to the sun right and as we look at the Old Testament and we watch how they made these images these these little figurines and these poles and these things and it's kind of just like crazy to us and we're like are they stupid you know they were bowing down to a golden calf and here's where we go we say well you know what i'm not even sure that idolatry is that relevant in our culture I'm not even sure idolatry is really a battle for me because I would never worship an animal. I would never pray to a star. I would never set up a pole in my front lawn and go out and bow down to it. I just, we don't struggle with that. And here's why I think we don't recognize it. It's because we've been seduced. Another word would be deceived. And we cannot sometimes even see idolatry in the mirror right in front of us. But I, and I don't like that word. It just sounds, just sounds too raw, doesn't it? Idolatry. Surely, we don't commit idolatry. Seduced into worshiping a counterfeit. There's a guy that took a trip over to third world country this is a true story met this young lady this wife this mother that was single had children in her home and this woman was into some different kind of religion and was literally for real raising chickens to sacrifice them on an altar to her god And as this guy tells the story, he said it just grabbed his attention because he was like, oh my goodness, here's a real living example of someone sacrificing, of someone practicing idolatry. And he began this conversation with this woman, and through the conversation found out that she had actually been to the United States. And as they talked, he began to ask her questions, and he asked her, so what did you think of the United States? And here's what her answer was. Living in a shack in a third world country, had nothing. She said, honestly, she said, I hated your country. And she said, I would never want to go back. And he looked at her and he said, really, what did you hate about our country? And then she said this. She said, your country, remember, she's raising chickens to sacrifice on an altar. She said, your nation is the most idolatrous place I have ever been. And their conversation went on. And she said things like this. She said, in your country, one of the first things I notice is that you worship your stomach. She said, you guys talk about food. You spend enormous amounts of time eating. You have huge stores with aisles and aisles and aisles of food. He said, when you go into a city, on every corner there's restaurants where you eat food that's not good for you. He said, when I walked in your country, every other person that I saw was fat. And I know that's like just brutal. You know what's interesting about that is when I was in Africa, in Sierra Leone, you know what they made fun of my group the most for, the locals? It was for being fat. They did. They would want to run with us. They would want to race against us or walk, and they would make fun of us for the condition of our health. And then she said, the other thing that I noticed was when I was in your country is you have these huge stadiums where you hold these sporting events. And you spend piles of money to go into a stadium to eat more food that's not healthy for you, And you wear someone else's uniform and cheer wildly for a bunch of men running around on a field. And listen, I love sports too. And I'm going to go to some Clemson games. But if you ever stop and think about it, right? You know, go to a Clemson home game, a big game this year, and think about the amount of money that is spent in tailgating and to watch a bunch of young men in tight pants carry around a leather ball. It's crazy. And then she said this, and this is going to hit all of us. She said, when I went into your homes, you guys have this thing that you hang on the wall or you set on a, On a cabinet. And then you arrange all of your chairs in a circle and you arrange your whole living room around this one thing. And your family gathers and you worship it for hours. See, that's convicting. And as you look at this woman and you realize that story, you think, well, how, she, how could she not see what she was doing and being so judgmental? But isn't the flip side the same thing? Maybe we do have a seduced soul. And here's the thing. I know your tendency because I know my tendency. Is it is, is extremely Easy for us to begin to justify. It is extremely easy for us to begin not only justify, to justify, but to compare to the people around us. Jesus made a statement at one point in the, in the New Testament and he said, Do you want everything? Is, do you guys you want everything? You want all that your heart desires? And then he said, What good is it for you to gain the whole world, to get all of that stuff, but lose your own soul? Maybe it is time for us to have a little soul detox. So how do we dethrone the idols of our soul? how do we dethrone them how do we get rid of them what do we do if we realize that our souls in some ways have been seduced or we're wondering if they're seduced first and most obvious things that we need to do are the are these the first one is this is we need to learn to identify the we we need to learn to identify the idols of our souls What is it in your life? What is it in my life that if we're honest, we've elevated to the supreme place? And it's either equal or higher than God. Psalms 24, verse 3 and 4 asks this question. It's an amazing question. It says, who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? In other words, who's worthy of being in his presence? Who may stand in his holy place? And the answer is he who has clean hands and a pure heart and one who does not lift up his soul to an idol. Again, the challenge for us is to brush it off. The challenge for us is to, is to water it down. The challenge for us is that we don't justify. My challenge for you this morning is would you just begin to examine would you just at least have the courage to say i'll at least look I'm going, you, I'm going to ask you to look in three different areas the first one is this is where do you spend your time how do you spend your time how do you spend your money What do you talk about? How do you spend the majority of your time? Is your time almost always focused on the same thing? As you look at your bank account and you go through your budget, is the majority of your money being dumped into one or two areas and you're doing very little for the kingdom with the blessings that God has given you? When you find yourself in a conversation with other people, does the conversation always drift towards one thing or another? And don't you think that as Christians, if we're in love with Jesus, that as we talk to other people, that our conversations would drift towards Jesus and towards the things of God? You know what? When you're young and you're in love and you kind of have your first love, where do your conversations lead and where do they go with the people that are closest to you and friends that you're comfortable with? I know exactly where they go. They go exactly where your mind has been. They go exactly what your time is consumed with. Or does your conversation always tend to go towards your favorite hobby? Which hobbies, are nothing wrong with them. But your conversations might be worth paying attention to. I don't know what it might be for you because we're all different. Maybe for some of you here today, maybe it's your home. And you are literally consumed with your home and your yard. It looks like, you know, yard day of the month every day. And everything has to be perfect. Everything has to be pruned. I'm not saying not have nice places, but are you consumed with it? And it's all about how your house looks and how the inside looks and the smell and everything about it. Maybe for some of you here today, maybe it's your image. And it's the haircut, it's the tan, it's the hair, it's the shoes, it's the earrings, it's the, it's the nails, or whatever it might be. And you're consumed with what people think about you when they look at you. For some of us that have children, maybe it's your children. Granted, your children should be important. But your children should not be in a supreme place of your Heavenly Father. Should not be elevated to that place. And listen to me, parents, mothers, if you don't know God personally, you cannot give your children what they need the most. It could be a hobby. Maybe you're involved in a hobby, and it's a great hobby, but maybe there's something that goes on every week, and you haven't missed it on a Saturday or whatever it is for weeks because you would never, ever miss it, but you'll miss Sunday morning worship at the drop of a hat. Here's another thing that steps on my toes. Probably step on some of your toes. If your body posture, if your body is the most used to this position right here. Right? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? And the first thing that you do in the morning is grab that stupid little device and check Facebook or check your email or check your phone. And if you're sitting in a group of people or your family sits around a table and everybody's doing this, you may have a dysfunctional relationship with your cell phone. And listen, I'm guilty. I'll be the first one to admit it. And I'm telling you, it's idolatry. It could be all kinds of things. It could be the pursuit of success in a career. It could be the pursuit of wealth. And all I'm asking you to do today is to just be really honest. I'm going to ask you for this commitment at the end. Is to just commit to talking about it, to talking with your family, to talking with people that are close to you, to talking with your wife or your husband, to talk with your children, to talk with your life group, And to just be honest. What am I putting ahead of God? And name those idols. Once you identify the idol, what could be an idol, number two, is the next step. And that is to tear down your idols. Tear down your idols. If you'll notice in Scripture, God never asks us to manage them. Never says manage your idol, but he says tear them down. Don't tolerate them. Get rid of them. Take steps. That's what God told Gideon in Judges 6, verse 25. He said, tear down your father's altar to Baal, the false god, and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. There's kind of this righteous sense of anger. And it didn't tell Gideon, listen, cover that stuff up. Just cover it up. Bring it out once a week. Tolerate it. Manage it. He said, "No, get rid of it. Destroy it. It was a conversation of a mature Christian with another mature Christian, supposedly. And the one guy had immense wealth, had been blessed financially incredibly. I'm talking big wealth. And the guy that was wealthy was kind of bragging, kind of in a godly way like we do sometimes. And he was saying things like, man, I'm so thankful God has blessed me. And everything that I have is from God. And he was making all these statements. And the other guy was looking at him. And in their conversation, he turned to him and he said, you know, I can imagine that with everything that you have and the way God has blessed you, that it's an enormous responsibility and weight that you feel to use what God has given you for his kingdom and to give back. And the guy that was financially wealthy turned to the other guy in their conversation he said, you know, not really. He said, I don't get into the whole giving thing. You know, I just don't. And their conversation went back and forth and kind of like, why would you not? And he said, well, I just, he just, and this is how it kind of ended up. He said, you know what? I love my money. I just love my money. I love what my money does for me. I love where my money takes me. I love what my money does buys me, and he was just kind of arrogant with the whole thing. And the other guy turned to him and said, well, you are aware of what Scripture teaches about finances and about your blessings and the things that God has given you. And the other guy said, yeah, I, I understand what the Bible teaches, but I just don't care right now. And I love my money. My fear is Is that we'll leave this place with that same attitude. And I'd be willing to bet that some of you, if not most of you, including myself, have already had things pop in their mind. And we say, Yep, that might be a problem. Question is, what are you going to do when you walk out this back door? You're going to have the attitude of what we think is ridiculous of this guy that had all that wealth? and say, "Yep, yeah, probably it is a problem, but I love it. And it could be, again, it could be all kinds of things. It could be good things that we've elevated to the supreme place. Listen, I'm going to say something because I'm not here to tickle your ears, okay? And I know this is a touchy subject. And this is not pointed at anyone because we've been involved in all kinds of things. But I see families that are consumed with sports with their children. And it's all they do. And we get this mentality in our culture that if I don't have my three-year-old on the polo team, they may not make the 2032 Olympics. And I'm telling you, if you're not careful, you're going to teach your children that this is more important than this. Some of you men are so consumed with working and earning money and being so involved in your career and paying the bills. And you would say this. You would say, yes, I know that my teenage daughter needs my attention. But I've got to do this. I know that my sons are growing up. I even would acknowledge that my marriage is horrible. And my wife needs me. And work is my idol. But I love it. And I don't care. Pursuit of material things. Always wanting more. Boy, isn't this true of our culture? We live in a country that is broke. And you know why we're broke? It's because we spend more than we make. And why do we spend more than we make? It's because we want more and more and more and more, and it never ends. The pursuit of material things. We want the house, we want the trip. We want the boat. And none of that stuff is bad stuff. But for so many of us, we want it prematurely. And we don't understand that these things have sucked us and seduced us into worshiping a counterfeit. Something that never satisfies and never will satisfy. And then we wonder. And then we wonder why our lives are empty. And sometimes feel meaningless. Jesus had a conversation with a guy that had wealth. In Mark 10. And in verse 21 it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Here's what you and I need to remember this morning is that God loves you. Seriously. God's not beating you up in scripture not to have things and not to do fun things, and not to be involved in hobbies. He just doesn't want those things to have you. Jesus looked at this young man, and he loved him. His heart poured out for him, right? And they had this conversation. And the young guy asked Jesus, this rich young ruler asked Jesus, said, what do I need to do to inherit the kingdom? What do I need to do to spend eternity with you? And Jesus says, Obey all the commandments. And the young guy looks back and he says, I've done that. And then it says, And Jesus looked at him and he loved him. And he made this horribly harsh, for you and I would be harsh, statement. One thing you lack, because Jesus understood that this guy loved things more than he loved Jesus. He said, One thing you lack sell everything, not half not a portion, not a symbolic portion. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasures in heaven. Then, once you've done that, then you're worthy of following me. Jesus loved this guy enough to look at him and tell him that he was... Settling for and had been seduced; that his soul had been seduced. A lot like the guy that I talked about earlier. He knew it. He understood it. He realized it. But his 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 attitude was like, you know, what? I can't. I can't do it. And he. And the Bible says that he walked away sad because he had great wealth. I'm going to say something here. This is very. Here, here's where you go, and here's where I go. We read that, and we say, "Well Jesus would never ask me to sell everything I have and give to the poor and it's kind of like it's kind of like when we read that and we think of it in the context of me, it's like we just want to kind of clam climb into a little shell and just close the doors and go home and shut the doors, turn on the TV and distract ourselves, right? I don't know if Jesus would ask you to do that or not, but I do know this. And you can't argue with this. Is that Jesus would ask you to get rid of anything that is an idol. That Jesus would ask you to tear down anything and everything that has been elevated to the same level as him. And again, that's an individual thing. When I could tell you stories of people that have realized that there's things in their lives and they took drastic steps, and sometimes we look at those people and we think they're crazy and they're radical. And you know what? They are crazy and they are radical, but they're radical and they're crazy for Jesus. If there is something that is more important in your soul than the one true God, than the creator of the universe, than your Lord and Savior, God and Jesus would ask you to tear it down and to get rid of it. Since then, if you do that, there might be space in your soul. And this is so simple. The last thing that we have to do, since now there is space and there's room in your soul, is to fill your soul with God. Fill your soul with God. I'm going to read you three verses. Psalms 84, verse 2. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Psalms 107. For God satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul, and he fills with good things. And then in Psalms 42, familiar passage. My, dear, my As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul... Pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Here's here's the thing. If we're honest, is that ever the language that you use in your relationship with your heavenly Father? I'm not talking like the Bible language. I'm talking, do you ever say, do you ever think, do you ever feel? And for some of you, maybe yes. Yes. But is there ever this thing where, man, I can't wait. I can't wait to go to church. I can't wait to go to life group and fellowship with other believers and build them up and spend some time praying and being fed spiritually. I can't wait to go to church and worship. And I can't wait to hear what God has for me this Sunday morning. And I would say for a lot of us, that's not even maybe a part of our thought process and maybe it is for some of you maybe i'm being too harsh but isn't it for a lot of us if we're not careful that we have this yearning and this desire not as much for god as for more things more stuff more clothes max lucado tells a story about a fish stupid story but it makes a point And he says, it was a fish that lived in the ocean. They took the fish out of the ocean and they put it on a beautiful beach. And then they asked the fish if he or, I don't know if it was a he or she. I don't know how you even tell on a fish. But they asked the fish if he was happy. And, of course, the fish wasn't happy. So they built the fish, this mansion fish house and fish cars in a fish pool, beautifully landscaped place, and they put the fish in it. And then they said, are you happy? And of course, the fish did what a fish does. It was gasping for air, clinging to life, and said, no, I'm not happy. And so they gave it more stuff, and they put more stuff around it, and gave it a job, and all of these things, and said, now are you happy? Then the fish said, no, I'm not happy. And you know why the fish wasn't happy. Because the fish was never built, was never created, was never designed to live on the beach. The fish was designed to live in the water. And I'm telling you, you were never designed and built and created to live on the beach. You and I were designed and created with a God-shaped hole in our souls. And only God can fill that hole. Only God can fill that hole. If your life in any way is empty, this is so huge, this is not me, this is something I found, I thought this is so good. If your life is empty in any way, lower your expectations of what you expect to find in this world because this world is like the beach and you were never created to live on the beach isn't that great if you find this life a little bit empty and just a little bit dissatisfying you know what it's supposed to be that way you were never created to live here and in it you were created for the next kingdom we're just stewards we're just passing by Your soul will never be satisfied by what this world has to offer. Never. I don't know about you. I don't want to be deceived. I don't want to be seduced. I don't want to settle for less than... In just a minute, just a moment, we're going to start the music, and we're going to take a, a, a couple minutes, just like we did the last two Sundays, to detox your soul. And I like for you, as we, as we do it today together, is if you would just close your eyes, bow your head, and you would, with integrity and honesty, if you would begin to ask God to search your heart and your life for anything, that might have been elevated to a supreme place. Can we do that? Let's bow our heads.